Thanks for joining us this week, and welcome to Mutuality Matters, a weekly podcast hosted by CBE International, where our mission is to promote the biblical message that God calls women and men of all cultures, races, and classes to share authority equally in service and leadership in the home, church, and work. Let's get into this week's episode. Wonderful listeners, and thank you for joining us on Mutuality Matters, Global Impact, Egalitarian Activism, and Human Flourishing. My colleague Kim, will you please introduce our precious guest today? Yes, I am honored to introduce Dr. Alita Bell to both our audience and to you, Mimi. Dr. Alita Bell um, was the youngest of nine kids and the first to make it through high school and go on to college and then become a doctor in an era when there were only four women who graduated in her uh, medical class. But from there, uh, she did an internship in Saudi Arabia, which really impacted her, and I'm sure you'll hear about it later. And that made her move to India to dedicate her life to medical missions. Uh, She started Utrala Hospital, or actually it's called Premsewa Hospital, in North India, specifically to reach uh, women and children in an area that was 50% Muslim, and the women could not be seen by a male doctor, and so they were dying. Um, After she handed that hospital over to Indian leadership for the newly formed Emanuel Hospital Association. She became what they called a temporary director at Duncan Hospital, which was a large hospital in um, Bihar. And she went through a lot of challenges there, a lot of growth, and a, a big change in how she did leadership. And then from there, when that was handed over to all Indian leadership, she pioneered community health and development in North India at a time where it had been practiced in the South. And one of her um, heroes, Dr. Ida Scudder, had had done that through her Valor Medical Institute. But Alita took it to the North and was a pioneer there. And those projects now have grown, expanded exponentially, and are doing things from human trafficking to maternal child health to um, adolescent groups and literacy and medical care and working with the disabled. It's really pretty exciting. And Alita was at the head and start of all of that. But I have a story to let you kind of get an idea of how Alita saw the world and how she worked. I met Dr. Bell 25 years ago when I was in college, and I was doing a summer pre-med internship in India. And I'm going to just share a bit of my introduction to her that will give you maybe a picture in your mind of who she is and where we were. I received a letter from Dr. Bell that told me how I was going to find her in India. And it said... I'm sending you with the replacement laptop computer and never put it down or it will be stolen. So I took that very seriously. So I carried that computer on my lap from California to Singapore all the way to Delhi. And I got off the airplane in the middle of the night in June where it's hot and uh, the smell, everything hits you hard in India. Especially then, it was the old airport. It wasn't the new airport. 
and people are coming at you wanting to carry your luggage. And my letter said, go find a bus and it will take you to the domestic terminal, but buy water at the airport. But since I got in at midnight, there wasn't anything open. So I went out and I found a bus in the at night and I sat there for like 40 minutes until they finally left. I was the only one on the bus and we started driving to I didn't know where and I just hoped we would get to the domestic terminal, which we did. And I waited there till five in the morning when my next flight left and nothing opened for water before I left. So we flew to this really rural airport in Bihar and my letter said a man will meet you there. And sure enough, there's a man with my name on it, and on a letter, and I opened it up, and it said, I can't speak a word of English, but Dr. Bell says you need to follow me, and I'll get you to the hospital. So I followed him. We waited for like five hours in a little cement travel agency, and then we got on a bus and went five more hours and got in late at night in this town called Roxall and weaved through the people into the hospital. And we got back finally to the hospital where um, where Dr. Bell lived, and she and a bunch of short-term missionaries said, Welcome! And I just collapsed. I was so happy to be there, but I was dehydrated, and I was exhausted, and my legs were numb because I'd been carrying that computer for I don't know how long, and I handed it off, and I made it to meet Alita. <laughs> so that story um, is just kind of what she she was used to making her way through India and expected the rest of us to do it. So India or Alita, when I consider the road that you traveled to get to India, that story really was nothing. Can you share a bit about your background? Sure. I was born in the front room of the house on a snowy winter's day in Bruce County, Ontario. I'm the youngest of nine children. My dad was the son of Scottish immigrants. He was a poor subsistent farmer, and I was always happy to spend time with the animals on the farm, especially the horses. I attended a one-room school a mile walk from home. I grew up with Trixie, a Heinz variety pup, born the same year as me. So. Dr. Alita, can you share some of your early stories uh, from your youth as the Lord opened doors that were not usually open to girls? God certainly did open doors for me to go to high school and then to university. Coming from a poor farming community, access to education was difficult. None of my siblings had had the opportunity to go to high school, so I was amazed when the yellow bus first came up our concession, the year I was to start high school. I could get a ride to the nearby village, Tiverton, where there was a continuation school. By this time, my dad was getting older and he wasn't really able to do the farming anymore, and so he sold the farm and we moved to Tiverton. From there, I was able to go by bus to the nearest high school in Kincardine. At that time, there were only three things that a girl could do. She could be a teacher, a nurse, or a secretary. After observing a teacher in a one-room country school, 
I decided that I didn't have the patience to be a teacher, and I couldn't bear the thoughts of being a secretary and being cooped up in an office all day. <laughs> and I really didn't want to be a nurse because I thought all they did was empty bedpans. <laughs> but that seemed the most plausible option. One day in class, the French teacher asked how many were going to university. And when I didn't stand up, she looked at me and said, why aren't you going? I said, I never thought about it. I didn't have the money. My French teacher began to leave brochures from the universities on my desk. When I looked them over, I immediately thought, I would like to go into medicine. So I went to the principal and asked him if he thought my marks were good enough to get into university, and he said, yes. My next question to him was, could I go to university if I didn't have any money? He said I could do it on scholarships and government grants. And so I prayed and decided that if I go get enough money for the first year, then I knew that God wanted me in medicine. I was valedictorian of my 1955 high school class, and as my principal had said, I was able to collect enough financial aid to cover the expenses of my first year at university. To apply for the government grant, I needed the signature of one of my parents. There was one problem. My mother, in her mind, university was the place of the devil, and no child of hers was ever going to go there. I took an evening walk with my dad, and he understood that I really wanted to do medicine, and so he signed the papers. With enough money for the, my first year and parental consent, I started medical school with a class of 60. Only four of us were females in, that, in those days. I got a job in the lab at the hospital working nights and weekends to fund the remaining years. Wow. That sounds like there were a lot of people in your life that helped that happen as well. So while you were in general practice, Alita, you were in residency after medical school. You did a short-term medical mission assignment in Saudi Arabia, and you have some amazing stories from that assignment. Can you share how that opened your eyes to the medical needs of women? It was in Arabia that I first became fully aware of the needs of Muslim women and girls. I discovered a unique place for a female doctor to work as it was much more difficult for Muslim women to be examined and seen by a male doctor. They wouldn't even let me look inside their mouths because they thought I might be a man. I had short hair and more scrubs so they didn't know if I was a man or a woman. <laughs> in hindsight, my short-term medical missions assignment in Arabia began to prepare me for the work I undertook in India. So, Dr. Alita, in the 1960s, you opened a mission hospital mostly in a Muslim area and 
rural area in India for women and children. Why was your focus so keenly set on women and children? And what were the unique needs that you addressed? Not only was it Muslim, it was also considered a poor, remote, and underserviced area. Women and their children had little access to basic medical care. The mission organization I joined wanted to expand their medical service to women and children in the area. To do this, they needed a female doctor to come and work with them because husbands would not allow their wives and daughters to be seen by a male doctor. In 1964, I took up the challenge to build, equip, and staff a mission hospital there. After establishing Premsewa Hospital, that's the mission hospital you established, you released it to a newly established Indian Christian organization. And I know there were a lot of political changes going on in India at that time. Can you share with us what was going on in that political environment that caused Indian Christians to come together and form Emmanuel Hospital Association? And can you speak to their ongoing leadership and their focus on women's equality? Initially, I didn't need a visa to enter India because both India and Canada were members of the British Commonwealth. But that soon changed when foreign missionaries were, out, were outlawed by Indira Gandhi when she came into power in 1966. In response, Emmanuel Hospital Association was formed by Indian Christians to secure the medical work that had been established by foreign missionaries. They did this by taking over their administration and setting themselves up as an Indian national organization. Emmanuel Hospital Association continues to, to, continues to provide specialized health care in some of the remotest, underdeveloped parts of North, Northeast, and Central India. And at present, the executive director of Emmanuel Hospital Association in Delhi is a woman. Yes, and that woman is Dr. Sarah, who we will be interviewing in a later podcast. Registration is now open for CBE's 2022 International Conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Join us in person August 5th through 7th as we explore the fullness of Galatians 3.28 beside leaders from around the world. Be a part of the conversation on women, race, and ethnicity. Register now before April 30th to receive the early bird pricing of $249. Visit CBE's website to register and see information on the event schedule, lodging, speakers, and sponsorship opportunities. We hope to see you there this August as we explore the fullness of Galatians 3.28. So Dr. Alita, can you kindly talk to us about community health and development projects you started in North India? In, 1990s, in the 1990s, I was put in charge of developing community health work around the Duncan Hospital. In preparation, I completed a 10-week course in South India on rural health and development. Essentially, we began with two projects, Champak and Chaitna. We helped people living in more than 
200 impoverished villages. We did this by collaborating with village leaders. A key strategy was empowering the people, particularly the women. We helped them to identify and address their own needs. We coordinated skill training for income generation and were involved with things like water development, sanitation, vegetable gardens, nutrition, adult literacy, and prenatal care. And so how much of this had been going on prior to your community project in this part of India? To my knowledge, there was very little of this type of work going on in Bihar State. And how much of this work has grown since your initial projects launched? Since the early days, the project work has continued to grow. It now includes things like a community-based rehabilitation program and a mental health project for women. The mental health project provides awareness and access to medical services for women with mental illnesses. It also helps the women to reduce alcohol abuse and domestic violence. I have been thinking a lot about the need for women and girls to see examples of what they can do and who they can become. Meeting you at 21 years old and seeing the impact of your work inspired me to go on and study Islam and get my master's in international public health, to return to India, to work for Emanuel Hospital Association and do public health. And when I've talked to you, I've heard you say that your inspiration was Dr. Ida Scudder. Can you talk about that? My goal to India was influenced by Dr. Ida Scudder. I read her book as a young person and her story was fixed in my mind. As a missionary to India, she had dedicated her life to the plight of Indian women and children. Yeah, Dr. Ida Scudder was very unique in that she, when she came back to India, she, I think she was a third-generation missionary child, um, she recognized, like you, the need for women to have medical care. And she started a hospital where she recruited Indian nurses, women that actually hadn't been allowed to leave their home. They then started treating women, and they started doing community health and development work in South India. And her hospital in grew and expanded to then include men, and it's one of the best training hospitals in India. What's the name of the hospital that you're referring to for our listeners? Belor, Belor Christian Hospital. Dr. Alida, are you, tell us more about your Christian faith, your reading of scripture, uh, as it's informed, all the work that you have done, how has the Lord spoken to you specifically about this work? early on and as it progressed? I think I went out to India because of God's calling. He used scriptures and others to speak to me. My parents often had missionaries stay in our home when they were speaking in the area, and God began to speak into my life about working in foreign missions. One particular scripture was that of the four leprosy sufferers begging outside 
the besieged city of Samaria in 2 Kings 7, especially verse 9. That reads, Finally they said to each other, This is not right. This is a day of good news, and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall, fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people of the palace. We have the good news of salvation to share with those who have never heard, and so we should go and share it. Now, last night we were talking about this and how that passage was important to you, but you also talked about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and how that has also been an inspiration for your work. Can you expand on that a little? Yes. He had them all sit down. There was only a limited amount of food, but everyone fed, was fed not just the ones in the front row, but the ones in the back row too. Everyone. Beautiful and profound and true. Thank you, Dr. Alita. What words of wisdom do you have for those following in your footsteps, bringing the love of Christ to those who have been overlooked? For those he has called out into the mission field, I would say, go. Wherever he leads you, listen to what Christ tells you and do it. Seems pretty basic and also true, elegant and wise. Dr. Alita, as we close this interview, we want to thank you for your life, for your example, for your Christian witness as it addresses very real problems in our world. And could we just close with prayer? Dr. Alita, would you like to say a prayer for our listeners? Father Nevin, I just pray for each one who is listening to this podcast that you would touch hearts and thrust them out into your harvest field. For truly, even today, the harvest is great and the laborers are few. So touch their hearts today, we pray, as they hear that they might be challenged by the needs elsewhere. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, Dr. Alita. And uh, we will close now and see you all next month. God bless. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned to the new episodes coming to you weekly from our incredible team of co-hosts. In the meantime, Go to the show notes and learn how you can follow our guests and find links to organizations, books, and resources mentioned in their interview. And be sure to follow CBE International on Facebook and Twitter. Go to their website at www.cbeinternational.org for even more content and subscribe to their blog, magazine, and academic journal. Watch videos and listen to audio of past conferences and events, and visit their bookstore where you can find talented authors and subjects that will enrich your faith and equip you to use your God-given talents in leadership and service to the gospel for all, regardless of gender, ethnicity, or class. I am Kimberly Dixon with Mimi Haddad. We would like to thank Landon, our support tech, and the team at CBE International that makes this podcast possible. 
We are Mutuality Matters. Thanks for listening. Looking for more information about CBE and our mission for biblical equality? Then please visit cbeinternational.org for more information. And please be sure to tune in each week for new episodes here or wherever else you listen to podcasts.